Welcome to Switcher Chats, music interviews brought to you by Music Matters with Daryl Craig Harris and Music Tribes Unite. Fionn Ross, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good. So you're, you've been very busy. We've, we've chatted before on the podcast, but you have so much going on all the time. And I wanted to catch up with you because um, one of the things we're going to talk about is um, you're involved in the London Jazz Festival, which is coming up in November. And I'm actually going to be there in London. And I might even, there's a rumor that I might guest on one of your shows <laughs> as a bass player. <laughs> I don't and, think it's uh, a rumor. I think that's the reality. Ah, okay. And uh, so, yeah, that, yeah, you just released um, your new album. And um, so let's start with the, the album, because I know you said you had a, you actually had a release party last night, so you were up early. <laughs> like, well, it's actually later for you. It's in the, in the afternoon. But yeah. um, so tell me about the new album, because um, how many albums have you, do you have out currently? This is my fifth album. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and it's called Red Flags and High Heels. And yeah, we had the um, album launch last night at the Pizza Express in Soho. So, oh, yeah, cool. so it came out yesterday. So it's hot off the press. Awesome. Yeah. You know, and you sent me the um, kind of the pre-release tracks. Mm. And I, I love your music because for people who haven't heard you, it's first of all, it's a really wide variety of, of different styles. And then the other thing is I'll, you also are the producer on the record and, and obviously the writer. So... What's your process for that when you come, when you start a new album and your albums, I should say too, have won a lot of awards and, uh, and your journalism as well. But what's your process when you, when you're looking at starting a new album and writing all the songs, what, how do you get started with that? Well, it's interesting. Cause I think this one was a little bit different in some ways, but um, I never have a plan. Um, you know, I'll sit down and write whatever kind of comes into my head, you know, and whatever type of music that is, whatever the song is about, I literally just write about what's in my head. But it always starts, obviously, the writing is me at home at the piano. Um, and um, and then once I've got kind of the basics down, it, and it might start with a bass line, it might start with a groove. So, for example, there's one new track called, uh, what's it called? Oh, Don't Say It If You Don't Mean It. And I wanted um, it to be a bossa. I don't know why. I was just like, oh, do you know, I fancy doing kind of, you know, and I quite often, and my drummer Marley and I, excuse me, quite often giggle when I say, oh, Latin. And it's like, yeah, but what sort of Latin? It's like, oh, you know, right. <laughs> everyone that's, says. It's actually a really big word, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people um, do that. They go, oh, yeah, Latin. And it's like, yeah, but what, what do you mean by that? So I was very determined with this album to go, no, okay, I'm going to specify uh, a specific rhythm, a specific groove. So with this one, I'm like, I want it to be a bossa. Um, so I very much started, you know, right from the beginning of like, this is going to have a bossa feel. So it started with that groove. Whereas, for example, there's a track called More Time, which started with a bass line, uh, similar to my old track, Busy Always Busy, actually. So it starts up with a bum, 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 bum you know, kind of old school. Um, so, yeah, so I, I do that part at home um, and the brass parts and I kind of layer everything at home. And then I love it when I get to the studio. Because then, you know, and we put it down bit by bit. So normally we do drums first, then bass and so on. But this time, actually, we put mostly drums and bass together. Um, and then we brought in uh, the brass and built up the layers. Um, but, yeah, I, I love that. But that's my favorite bit is bringing the brass in. Yeah. I love and, that. And, and it's interesting, too, because you, you've actually had the, the same band members or a group of amazing people, um, really great players. You've had them for quite a while. And they've actually, I think you pretty much had the same folks on all your albums, right? I've had, um, um, uh, so my drummer, Marley, and my bassist, Derek, and my guitarist, Jibby, have been on four of my albums. Um, uh, well, yeah, four of my albums. Um, Lauren Hignall, my saxophonist, has been on the last one. Dave Burr, my trumpet player, this is his first one with me, although we've been geeking for a while. Right. Um, but, and Shane, you'll see. So, yeah, m- most of them have been on all of my albums, yes. I love them. Yeah. They're amazing. And some of those guys, we talked about this before, but some of those guys were actually your students, right? Because you used to teach at the, I'll let you say this name of the school because I never get it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was the head of the British Academy of New Music. So yes, Marley, so my drummer, my bassist, 
and my guitarists were all my students when I was there. Um, and then also fell in love with Shaney, who works on backing vocals and now saxophone. Although she was a student while I was there, but it was just before I was about to leave. So I didn't really know her um, while she was there, but she was actually a student <laughs> there as well, just not technically one of my students. And also um, Warren and Elliot, who do the mixing um, at Highfield Studio, they were my students as well. So yeah, yeah I have a lot of, um, and I love that. I love that. Yeah. And also it's because I know them so well. So Warren, for example, um, who works at High Force, he did, uh, does the mixing. He also does some of my filming and photography, actually. I've known him since he was 16. So, you know, I love that chemistry and the banter that we have. And that that's significant to me. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. And also, too, I know a big part of what you do, um, not only in, in music, but also you're a very well-known music journalist. I should say award-winning, multiple award-winning. And um, and part of what you've been doing with with uh, with that, with journalism, is also mentoring young younger journalists, especially women. And uh, mention that it's like it's Women in Jazz Media, which is, a, is actually a group that you founded that's become very popular. What was the impetus for 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 doing that? That um, yeah, Women in Jazz Media is something that has come about, and it's been quite wonderful. But uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie; this was not my intention initially. And basically, and it was November, so it's almost a year now. It was the end of November. Um, I just decided to start a Facebook page. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm going to start a community. You know, there's not enough women. Where are the female writers out there? I, you know, I don't know many. Where are, you know, where are they? Uh, it'd be really and lovely to kind of have, you know, it's just a Facebook group. So I started And particularly in, in, in jazz music in particular, there's there's very big lack of, we've talked about that, but there's very few women journalists, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole jazz industry is male, dom- well, white male dominated, uh, right. especially behind the scenes. And I was looking and I, say, I won't name names, but I was looking at a publication uh, and they had all the writers uh, on here. Uh, and there was, there was about, fi- I think, 52, a massive page of writers. And I was like, wow, that's really impressive. And then I'm like, hang on, hang on. Where, where are the women? And there was like two women. And it was at that point I was like, Look, do you know what? I'm just and I see this all the time. But I just on that particular day, I was like, no, I've just had enough. So, yes, yeah, so I started this Facebook page and then the next day, and this continued, I was getting messages from female journalists across the world, one from China, one from Spain, saying, oh, my goodness, I've been looking for something like this for the past eight years. I've been writing. I think I'm the only woman in China that writes about jazz and all these comments. So I was like, OK, so this is actually um, I need to step up a gear here. You know, a simple Facebook page is, is not just enough. So, um, yeah, so I kind of, you know, thought about it, got a team of women. It's all volunteer based for the 16 of us. Um, and, and it's beyond just journalism. Uh, I mean, our focus is very much about the behind the scenes. So obviously we do promote um, uh, musicians and, uh, and photographers and so on, but it's really about the support behind the scenes. So getting more writers, more female writers uh, on the scene, more female editors, more, you know, um, that side of things. So that's a big focus of what we do. Right. And it's also important, too, for young, young women, young ladies that would maybe want to get into jazz journalism or not just jazz, but music journalism in general. It's important for them to have mentors and people that they can talk to and help them in that process. Right. Yeah, and you know, I think it's a key thing. In fact, not not just women at all for everybody is that there's, there's times when I think we feel on our own and we're actually never on our own. It's just that how are we how how do we reach out you know and you know what it's like musicians we're like a family they're kind of like this insane crazy kind of you know family and we are actually all there for each other but sometimes I think we don't realize that and and certainly I found you know with the team it's been such an incredible thing and we talk about things it's like yeah I feel that way and oh yeah I did that but never spoken about it um, at all. So even just having this kind of collective group where we talk about issues makes you realise that we are all in this together and, and we're not alone. So, you know, irrelevantly, it's an incredibly important thing. Right, yeah. And it's like you said, it's, it's nice to know that there's people out there that are kind of on you or with you with this on the same journey. And you can, you, can, you know, somebody like you who's very experienced in a lot of different areas um, have so much to really offer people like that with questions, not only about music, but, but life. <laughs> yeah, well, a, you know, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to say, we have this mentoring scheme and it's quite funny, actually, because the first, um, so, so and in fact, if anyone's listening, you know, we're always looking for mentors, male and female, um, you know, for, for young writers. We do put, there's a form to fill in if someone is interested in having a mentor. And we do put on that, would you, you know, you know would you prefer a female mentor or a male mentor? Um, 
so yeah, we we are kind of after both male and female mentors, although the majority are female. Um, but one of the first things, you know, when they sign up for this and we had you know, the first mentoring session, it wasn't really about writing or journalism or even jazz. It was about life, <laughs> you know, working yeah. in, in the creative industry and, you know, the highs and the lows and how you cope with it. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really important thing. I, and there's many other mentoring schemes out there, actually. So it's a, it's a good thing to do. Yeah, it's exciting. And, and I think, too, um, I know we've talked in the past about some of the people to, that you've actually interviewed, and there's a really amazing list. Who are some of the, the people that you really have enjoyed the most talking with? Um, well, I always say Maxine Gordon because she is my hero. I've seen people saying Shiro now instead of hero, but you know what I mean? She's my, <laughs> she, she, is, she is a goddess to me in every possible way. So I was, yeah, honored to interview her. Um, and, explain uh, and, explain and them. Yeah, that's great. And, and explain who she is, actually, because some people, especially outside the jazz world, might not know. I know. And, you know, and it's one of those things because um, I, I always know I have to say this, but it kind of feels wrong saying it. So Maxine Gordon is, was the wife of Dexter Gordon. So Dexter Gordon, right. I'm sure everyone will have heard of. Um, and she was the wife of Dexter Gordon. But um, so much more than that. She right, is exactly. Yeah. She is certainly no jazz wife. Um, she's an author. Her book that she wrote, Sophisticated Giants, um, was is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, but the support that she gives to new musicians, the jazz scene. So although you know um, she is the legacy of jazz um, from that old school point of view, she's that legacy. But it doesn't stop there because, of course, jazz is ever uh, evolving. So, and she is a huge supporter of the new jazz musicians that are coming out. She, yeah, she's honestly inspirational. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, the, um, actually, the reason why I got into to jazz journalism, I guess, I mean, I don't, I, I'm not really a writer. I'm more of an interviewer, but you're, you're definitely a writer. Well, I don't know. <laughs> but because um, we, we had done an interview, uh, a live stream on Facebook. I guess now it's been, I don't know, three years, maybe four years. I don't know. It's been a while. And uh, and our editor friend, Nigel um, J. Farmer from Jazz in Europe at the time, um, had contacted me. So all this is has a lot to do with you, <laughs> this, which has grown into the podcast and these other things. So. Or, or Nigel. Nigel's the one. He's like the kind of the daddy. He's the, instig- he's the instigator, yeah, we'll call him Yeah, that. he's another incredible role model, actually. Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and that's fun. And it's funny, too, because as you know, too, in, in the music world, not only jazz, but in the music world, it's kind of, when you get to a certain place, it's kind of a small world in some ways. You start running into the same folks, and and they have their fingers doing a bunch of different things, which leads us to the London Jazz Festival, mm-hmm. because um, we had talked about that, and I was already kind of had my eye on going back to London um, haven't been able to, of course, because of the whole pandemic stuff. So that just kind of has opened up. I'm going to come there in November. And when I, when I was looking at dates, I realized, oh, there's the London Jazz Festival. And then we talked about that. And you're actually involved in that, not only as a musician, but also in the organization, right? Yeah, in two ways. So as a as a musician, I have a gig. And yes, you're going to be doing it. We haven't decided which songs yet, but uh, okay. you're going to be doing a, a guest you performance. Like, easy on me. <laughs> Well, it's really funny because I spoke to Derek, my bassist, and I said, oh, you know, Daryl's coming to play. And he was, oh, that's amazing. And he was all excited. And I said, but to be fair, he was. And I said, but to be fair, at the moment, I've just sent him the new album. So if there are any tracks in particular that perhaps you don't like playing or that you particularly want to hear Daryl playing, I said, now's the time. Because I could say to Daryl, I'll hear the ones. And he was was like, anything. (laughs) I want Daryl to play anything, yeah. Um, So, yeah, so I have a gig and you're playing for that. Um, But with my other hat on, so Women in Jazz Media, so the incredible venue called To Lose the Trek contacted Women in Jazz Media um, back in, I think it was April, and said that they wanted to put something on for the festival, but they really wanted to make it a really kind of diverse program and kind of celebrating and platforming women. And as mm. they put it, we heard you were the you were the woman to come to. And I was like, that I can do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so we so we put together for the whole 10 days of the festival um an event all at Toulouse the Trek. And although obviously the majority are women, it's about platforming women. It's a whole range of women. So you know there's um drummers, uh, trumpet players, saxophonists and vocalists, but we also have an exhibition. So the whole 10 weeks, there's a jazz photography and art exhibition, um, which Mm -hmm. is female photographers as well. So we've got um, Monica, for example, who's one of the women in our team. She's one of the photographers at Ronnie Scott's. So her work's going to be exhibited. And we've got a networking lunch. And yeah, so we've, we've kind of put together this incredible 
well, I think it's incredible, uh, 10-day uh, event as part of the London Jazz Festival. Yeah, what, what an exciting, I mean, it's neat that they came to you, of course. And I mean, you, you're quite well known in London, I should say, because you do you perform a lot of clubs there or have performed a lot of clubs. You're, you're very busy and active in the scene. But I mean, London is is great, too, because and I tell everybody who haven't been there, I'm like, it's such a great music city. Um, it's definitely on par with New York and Tokyo and all these major places but there's so much happening in london what 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 do you think that is i mean obviously we have we know like the beatles and that kind of thing which was obviously not just london but um it's it's actually i guess there's something in the water i don't know it's so it's so so creative there i think yeah it really is and i think you know without getting political and, and talking about things like that i think you know as the capital it has got this wonderful basis of culture from whether that's you know, uh, you know the museums that we have, the theatres that we have, the venues that we have, everything that we have in London as the capital is huge, and the di- the diversity of it all, which is what's wonderful. And in fact, that's something with the London Jazz Festival is that yes, you'll find in the large venues some you know the big venues that kind of seat thousands. There's going to be some beautiful, incredible music going on, but it's not just about that. You're also going to find probably a little pub around the corner that is also hosting a jazz night as part of the London Jazz Festival. So. So, yeah, that, that's part of, I think, what I love about London uh, is that diversity that, you know, it's not necessarily about money. It's not about big stadium stuff, but we do do that. It's also about the gorgeous little boutique club around the corner or the kind of the yeah. pub on the end of the road that serves fish and chips, you know. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of rich heritage here. Yeah, a lot of I mean, one of the places I saw that where you play quite a bit actually is the Pizza Express, which it, it, it sounds a little funny because of pizza. Oh, okay, pizza jazz, but those venues are amazing, right? In London, I know someone said to me, I can't, not this gig that I did yesterday, um, but the last one because there's, there's well, there's a few different Pizza Expresses, there's um, three in London actually, there's one in Chelsea, one in Soho and one in Hoban. And then there's another one, I think, in Birmingham. So there's a chain of kind of Pizza Expresses with kind of a jazz club attached to it. And the mm. one in Soho, I believe was the first one. That's certainly kind of the main, um, uh, the most well-known one. But yeah, someone said to me the other day, oh, Pizza Express, oh. And they were looking at me like kind of, it was like a kind of <laughs> awful gig and they were feeling sorry right. for me. And I was right. like, well, firstly, yeah, any gig is a good gig. <laughs> Right, you know, exactly. Uh, but also, it's like, no, no, it's actually, you know, it's it's very fancy. <laughs> yeah, very. I mean, actually great. I mean, well, and great pizza, but, <laughs> but yeah. the, venues, <laughs> the venues are really neat. I'm actually going to, um, you know, I, I'm going to be covering um, the London Jazz Festival as a um, media person, podcast host, whatever. And um, they offered to you know, arrange different venues for me to go, or artists to go see at different venues. And Ronnie Scott's is one of them because I've actually never been inside Ronnie Scott's, although I've been by there. Um, so I, I put my, put in my request for that on your advice. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I'm still outraged that you've never been there. I know. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit <laughs> pricey. Which I should say. I, well, although I, I yeah, yeah, they always they always have premium acts, so I should say. They do. And I think that's what, you know, coming back to what you were saying earlier on about London is that, you know, it, it is expensive. So that's why it's wonderful that, yes, celebrate Ronnie Scott's, so the little legacy there, there's some amazing music there. But you know what? It doesn't mean that the music is not good in the tiny little club around the corner, you know, exactly. where they don't sell out every night. You know, there's, there's amazing stuff going on. And yeah, that that is the problem with London, um, that it is very expensive. Yeah, and I think part of it too for me is I like to support um, up and coming artists, and and Ronnie Scott's primarily is really well established, kind of bigger names, and and I mean they do obviously too they they have they do showcase up and coming, but that's been a kind of a passion for me and for you I know as a journalist is is featuring these people that are not yet known but are going to be known. <laughs> so. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean I love discovering new music. Um, and uh, I think that, that. Go ahead. No, just it. And that's one of the things that, you know, although I don't like doing reviews, so I get sent music all the time to review and it may well be the same for you, but loads and loads and loads. But and and I don't like reviewing because I, I don't like that um that critical element of it. I don't I'm not a critic. I don't consider myself a critic. I don't want to be a critic. It's nothing against right. critics. It's yeah. just that's not what I'm about. Um so so when someone asks me to write a review, I yeah, I don't really like doing it. Um I do do it, uh, but I don't like doing it. Um, but what I do love about it is the fact that I get sent all this amazing new music. So, you know, almost mm. every day someone will send me my new, you know, their new album. And, and I love exploring new music. You know, I love that. 
Yeah, yeah. The critic thing is, and I actually have just started getting a lot of those requests. I just got one from an artist on Universal, a young guy. And I'm kind of like, I'm the same way. I'm kind of like, well, I don't, I'll talk about your album. I don't really want to criticize it. I don't feel like it's my place. And I don't, yeah. I, I mean, also too, for me, I don't like art competitions. I've never really, I've never been a big fan of those because I'm a photographer too. And there's a lot of those within photography. And I'm like, you know, it's so, it's so subjective. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, I, and, and you know what I particularly hate? And I was quite pleased because last year, because it will come up again soon, last year when they, you have all these things on different publications about the best 10 songs or the best 10 albums or your favourite song of the year. And I quite often get asked actually to kind of name my, my top five albums when it comes to kind of the new year, Christmas time. And I never right. do it. I don't participate because it's like, I, no, I can't, I can't name one. I can't name uh, five. It's like, who's your favorite artist, Renoir and Michael Edson? Well, exactly. How do, you, yeah. how do you like even, even go down that it, road? That's yeah, exactly. And I can't, and you know, and I, I kind of understand why people do it. But for me, it's like, I can't possibly. And even when I'm interviewed, you know, when people talk about, oh, you know, who's inspired you the most? There is not one person that has inspired me the most or right. who's your favorite singer. I don't have, you know, there, there's too many amazing people people out there so yeah I don't I don't like it when people ask me you know my favorite this or best this <laughs> yeah and everybody everybody has their own I guess I would say own flavor and they all bring something to the mix when you're making the cake right you've you've grown up hearing certain things your mom and dad listened to certain things that influenced you so it's a whole as it should be it's a big kaleidoscope of influences <laughs> yeah and that's that's what's wonderful about it though isn't it there's so much out there that influences you in different ways and quite often you don't realize it Right. Um, what, um, working with, with, with younger musicians and, and I mean, also with the writer thing too, we were talking about mentoring, like how, how important is mentoring to you? Um, how, how much important has it been for you personally, who, who people who have worked with you? Let, let's talk about that a little bit. People who have mentored me. Right. Oh, well, that's, it's interesting actually, because I think, um, my mentoring has been um, not deliberate. Like I think I've realized like Nigel, yeah, as a perfect example, I refer to him in my head as a mentor, but there's never been any official kind of, you know, he is my mentor and we're doing this, but yeah. just, just, just working with him and talking to him, uh, you know, has been a huge inspiration to me. And the same with Maxine is that, you know, I, I consider her a mentor. I don't know if, if you spoke to her, if she, she, I don't, she wouldn't say I mentor fee, you know, but, but we would, you know, we, we talk about conversations, which are the same thing as mentioning when you talk about your experiences and things that work, things that didn't work, advice, guidance, all that kind of thing, that all comes under that heading of mentoring and is essential, absolutely essential, uh, and that has shaped who I am. Yeah, and then when you um, dealing with, I mean, Ash, Ash, our friend who's a singer and writer, is mm. a good example because you've you've definitely been a mentor to her. So when you're when you're um, working with younger people like that in that situation, what what's your thought process like? What do you really want to impress on them as far as learning and how you approach things? Um, I think that's an interesting one because I'll be honest, as a singer, and I think a lot of the, um, when I was teaching, a lot of people I did work with the singers more than any other instrument. And I, and I tend to put singers in a slightly different category um, <laughs> <laughs> because the majority of singers that I have, and this is you know when they were students, is right. they don't understand that they're, what I consider it, you're an instrumentalist, exactly the same as you know the saxophonist or the drummer or the bassist. And quite often there are singers that, um, separate themselves from that band environment if you like because you're in the front because you're in the, you know quite often you're the lead and you're the performer and you know but that's still a role that is integral to everything else that's going on you know so know your craft you know read music you know know what key the song is you know and I've got you know um there's a friend of mine and I won't name her um who did you know West End work and you know we went to school together She's had an incredible career, but it was all kind of um, West End uh, musical theatre. Uh, and a few years ago, we did a gig together. She was asked to kind of sing um, at a thing. And she said, oh, can you come accompany me? And because it was her, I was like, yeah, of course. And she wanted to do this song. Uh, and I saw, you know, which, which key is it in? And she said, oh, it's the same as the original. And I was like, well, as in, and it was actually a U2 song. And I said, as, you know, the U2 said, yeah, it's exactly the same as the U2 version. I was like, oh, okay. So I went, you know, got the sheet music and played it and we sang through it and rehearsed and no, it's the wrong key. And I was like, well, oh, well, you said it was the same as the original. Right. Yeah. And I was like, so that's, and, uh, and she said, no, it's definitely the wrong key. 
And I was like, okay, what key is it in? She said, well, it's higher than that. And anyway, we had this round and round <laughs> conversation. Uh, and interesting, yeah, and, but, but what it made me realise, even someone as professional, and she is amazing, she's absolutely amazing, but she can't read music. She has an absolutely no understanding of, of the kind of the, the written side of things at all, which actually is a barrier. Now, obviously, I, you know, I'm, I know her, she's my friend, so, you know, you know I sight read it and kind of, you know, I transposed it at sight and we worked it out. But obviously, some other people would be like, no, do you know what? <laughs> it, it, it kind of made her seem unprofessional. So, yeah. yeah, I've been very, very aware that there were a lot of singers, certainly when I was teaching, that didn't understand their role. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as you need to understand the music, you need to understand the history of the music. You know, you need to understand your role as a musician and also the business side of things. You know, and I think we all struggle with this. You know, we have this dream where we can just go and do our thing. So we can just go and play bass or we can just go, you know, play the kit and someone else will do all, all the other stuff. It's like, sadly, it doesn't work like that. So, you know, you have to know the business side of things, how to promote yourself, contracts, you know, someone, you know, and I had that a lot when I was teaching actually. And, well, and there was one occasion when, you know, I'd have a singer would come to me, oh, you know, this producer wants to work with me and it's amazing. And, you know, and they were all excited. And I was the one who'd be like, okay, is there a contract? You know, what, what's the deal? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Right. You know, he's just said this, and yeah. So I think that that's a key thing for me is know your craft from right. every angle, and the business side of things is essential. Yeah, that's one of the tr- particularly tricky things with music, right? Because we're all we're all creatives. We get excited. We want people to like us and like what we mm. do. But that's also a trap because people that are maybe unscrupulous or whatever, they know that and they can use that against us when it comes to yeah. the actual business part of it. Um, so that that is like so, so important. And the other thing is, even though it's a creative thing, you, like you said, you need to know the mechanics of how things work, not only as a musician, but as, in the business end of it. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, and I have to say, and say, obviously, I'm a singer, so it's not me disrespecting singers in any way, shape, right, or form. Yeah. I am one. But you know, it, from my experience, I can only talk of my experience. You know, when I was teaching, and that was, you know, for, I taught for many, many years. You know, so many singers, so many young girls would say, "Oh, I've had." The, and it was always a male producer. Go, oh, yeah, they want to do this track with me. And of course, yeah. you know, you get all excited. Oh my god, yo, and, you know, and then it's like, yeah. And some of them are absolutely right. Just me. Some of them are amazing, and it's a great opportunity but sometimes they're not sadly so it's you know you have to make sure irrelevant of your gender you have to make sure you know what you're signing up for you know what is the deal um to make sure right. you're covered yeah I actually it's funny you mentioned that because I have a good friend I won't I won't mention her name but um we just I just had that kind of conversation with her because she sent me a contract that they wanted her to sign for a record deal mm-hmm. and I'm she's like can you take a look at this and I'm not an attorney Absolutely not. <laughs> but, yeah. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, but I, I know I have common sense. So I was going through this thing and part of the record deal was they wanted part of her live performance fee, you know, mm-hmm. which has become a thing. That's kind of part of the 360 deal, they call it, where they get record label gets part of your merchandising, mm-hmm. part of your live performance. And it's like, you know, the problem is that that's your money. So that's your survival money. And on these gigs, what people don't realize is that there's often an, already an agent. So they're going yeah. to take another cut on top of that. Yeah. So you're on you're on the road. Maybe you're in a van. You're trying to feed yourself and your band. <laughs> so, Absolutely. I, and the thing is, sometimes you have to make those decisions, and you might have to go. You know, what? I'm going to take that deal, but you have right. to know what it is you're signing up for. Exactly. Yeah. 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 As long as you know and you agree to it, then that's on you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, yeah. It's yeah. no judgment about you know what deals you do or don't sign, but you must be aware of what it is you're signing before you do. <laughs> right. What's your um? What's your main advice for for young? I mean, it's probably similar to what we just talked about. But what's your main advice to young artists that want to get into the field, like as far as being a recording artist, doing kind of doing what you're doing? What What would be your main your main points? Um. I, oh gosh. You know, I, I know that that's a big question. Age. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm trying to think of things I also haven't said before. But yeah, you know, I think um, I think it, an obvious thing is you've got to be good. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, and I think sometimes we don't say that enough. You know, when I you know, earlier when I said about know your craft, the competition out there is crazy. You know, there are so many people out there who want to make it, uh, you know, uh, so you have got to be as good as you possibly can be. And that's not all, I don't mean just on your instrument, you know, your discipline, you know, your punctuality, all that kind of thing that, that all, you know, sets you apart. It shouldn't do, but it will set you apart, you know, that you are professional in every element of what you're doing. I think that, you know, that's a, a hugely important thing that is uh, underestimated. And um, the business side, you know, uh, we spoke about, 
Um, but I also think, you know, we talk about the importance of networking uh, and actually mm. bringing it back a bit to women in jazz media, you know, irrelevant, to be fair, of, of what your role is. That collective, the power of being with the right people will make all the difference. It makes the difference as far as knowing what you're doing. So even if you have a contract, you know, and I know people, it's like, know what you're doing, but it's not going to hurt to have someone else look at it, another, you know, another set of eyes on things but only if that's the right people. So surrounding yourself with the right people who can help and guide you, and also so you don't feel you're on your own, um, I think is hugely uh, essential. And I think finally, just be you, <laughs> which as much as that's an obvious thing to say, it's not always easy because you know, you're, and again, depending on your definition of success, you know, if you want a number one pop hit versus you want a jazz album. I mean, these are all different different markets and kind of different approaches. But ultimately, there's always a challenge where you kind of think, ah, oh, well, I want to do this. And everyone who does that looks this way or sounds this way or does this. So right. there's always a temptation to kind of think, oh, OK, well, you know, I'm going to have to do that. If I want to be successful, I'm going to need to do the same thing. Um, which is obviously not the case, but certainly when you're first starting out, there's very much a temptation to kind of, oh, I need to look this way or my music needs to sound this way. Um, so so saying be you uh, is is actually quite hard, but vital. Yeah, and I think too, I mean, I know for me, oftentimes I'll see artists, young artists in particular, because it takes, it's a process of getting good. Mm. It's a process of learning mm. those lessons. Like, okay, I've got to show up on time. I got to be prepared. But I've seen artists and and that were not fully formed yet. But mm. you see them and you go, man, there is an honesty with them. There's a truth to them that is undeniable. I think the, that's where the gold is, where you, like you said, be authentic to you, and then people will come to you. It, it's sort of like the universe starts to align, and all of a sudden people start showing up to shows. You know, because yeah. you can't, yeah. you can't, you really can't fake that. It, that that thing is is either there or it's not there, right? Well, it is, and it's also it's arts, and I think sometimes we forget that when we think about you know the business side of things and revenue and making money and ticket sales, all the rest of it, and yeah, but it's still it's art. So you are right. an artist and you're creating an art form and therefore it needs to be treated with that respect. But then also, but you as an artist, it takes time to develop your art, to develop who you are, to know who you are, and then translate that to your music. You know, it's not, you know, you might have a, you know, a great voice, for example, you might be a great vocalist or a great bassist or drummer, or whatever. You might be technically have those skills, but that doesn't mean boom, you're ready to go. It's like, what are you actually going to create with those skills? So yeah, these things take time. Yeah, it's a process. It has to it's mm. sort of like bake, baking a cake, right? <laughs> yeah. It takes, it, takes, it takes a bit for all the ingredients to gel. And it's sometimes yeah. it's just it's just a process of playing live, getting out there and meeting people. Um, because it, it, even though you're a solo artist, what that means is you've built this whole support team around you. you you're not on your own with that, <laughs> you know, which is, which is, yeah, which, which is good. They can, they can actually, like you said, that's where the mentoring comes into play because those people can be great sounding boards when you have issues or, or how to book gigs or all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And I think there's some things, I mean, you know, when you talk about people working around you and I know I'm quite, I do a lot of my things. So I write my own material, I produce it, but there's that, you know, and I think sometimes there's a pressure, you know, that as independent artists, we have to do everything. And there is an exactly. awful amount. Yeah. And there is an awful amount that we do actually have to do everything for, but also there's nothing wrong with having a partnership, you know? So if you are a session musician, you know, but you know, working with different musicians, or if you're a singer who, who doesn't write, but you work with a songwriting partner, you know, there is no right or wrong. You know, it's about that magic, you know, creating that art, you know, with the right people. That's what's key. Yeah, and it's and it's all you know. It's it's it just takes a lot of work. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, the, the dream where it isn't work. I think yeah, no, it's. Uh... <laughs> and the, the thing is too is as you people think like, oh, if I get really successful, it's going to be so much easier. I'm like, no, actually, it's <clears throat> exactly the opposite. <laughs> you know, it is. And do you know what's worried me? And I was talking to someone the other day about this. And I think since COVID, as much as we probably don't want to talk about that, what one thing that has has been key to me is kind of reevaluating our definition of success right because you know, there were times where you know if you were if you were gigging every single night then you were a success or at least your definition would be you're a success and of course covid hit and, and you, you couldn't gig every night so does that mean you're not successful well no it doesn't so i think right. you know it's what it, you know covid has forced us to really evaluate well what for me personally you know what do i need to make me feel that i've achieved 
achieve something. And I think it's different for every, you know, every person. Uh, and I know people outside of the music industry who perceive musicians, if they're not gigging, they're not successful. And if I, I had it, when I was before COVID, I was working on my album and I was talking to someone and they're so, yeah, so when's your next gig? And I said, oh, no, I actually don't have one for the next few months because I'm working on my next album. And they were like, oh, not gigging then. And they looked and I could tell they were like, oh, you're clearly not very successful. And that was their perception because I couldn't say I'm, I've got, you know, 20 gigs coming out. I could, you know, right. yeah. they thought, oh, you're a failure then. But it was interesting because, you know, some people do perceive that. It's like if you're not number one, if you're not number one in, the, in whatever chart, then you're not a success. And of course, that's not true. So I think, you know, that's also an important part of what we do is really, you know, considering what is a success for you? What does that look like? You know? Yeah, and actually, I, I've I've actually posted a lot about that because people we tend to be scorekeepers as humans. We're kind of trained that way, yeah. and um and most people define success in our realm as how much money you have in the bank, what kind of car yeah. you drive, and I'm like, you know, there's some very lots of very successful, happy people that are not rich, but yeah. they have a perp. They wake up with a purpose. They they're fulfilling their mission, why they're here. Mm. And to me, that, that that's actually success. And if you happen to be financially successful, that's great. But to, to put your whole world in that, and then if that collapses, then you're kind of left with nothing. And I think, you know, like having a, waking up with a purpose, being true to who you are, those things are what's really important. I think, I think, I think you've learned that also, right? Oh, yeah. And I think during COVID, it was so sad because everyone understandably was very, you know, very depressed and very sad. It's like, you know, our industry, you know, didn't exist. Um, and a lot of people were understandably very upset about that. Um, but then I think a lot of that was because you, if you can't gig, if you can't perform as a musician, you do feel a bit like a failure. It's like, well, what, what am I? If I'm not, you know, if I'm not out there performing, then I actually don't know who I am. So, um, and so that's understandable. But, but also it's looking deeper into that. It's like, because as you say, you know, I might, I've written a great song that's a success uh, you know or I, you know, I've had this rehearsal and we've created some amazing music that was great you know there's many different ways that we can define success so you know I think it's it's made us really look at that seriously so that, you, otherwise you feel really, like a failure all the time right and you really I mean what people should know about you is you've actually you walked the walk because you actually left a very successful teaching career to to become what you are now which is a jazz artist and focusing on jazz journalism so you were really brave and, and you because you could have just stayed in the academic world and kept teaching that would have been an easy path but you chose not to do that I think to me that that's something that um really really inspires me with with your career in particular that's something that people should should actually know about you um well thank you I don't I, you know I never perceived that as being brave at all but yeah I suppose when you put it that way I did yeah I mean I stopped doing something that I was you know was doing for a long time and decided to kind of become a, a jazz artist um but yeah you know the reach is the point you have to do your thing and do what you want to do but I do there's elements of that it took me quite a while to adjust because I'd spent years and years and years um supporting other people so my job was looking after other people um, and then suddenly it was all about me. And I, I was very uncomfortable with that. Very, very. Un and I still find actually my music making a very selfish activity. And I know that's just the way I think about it. But yeah. it is about me. You know, I sit, you know, I sit at my piano and I write songs about me, about how I feel. Right. Um, and although sometimes like some of the songs on the new album, in fact, the title track, yes, it's about how I feel. But it's it, yeah, there's a bigger picture thing there. Um, but it still feels quite selfish. Um, so it took me quite a while to get my head around, you know, yeah. being my own artist. I, would be, I mean, to me, I wouldn't say selfish. I would say it's very personal. When you're a solo artist, everything you do is very personal. You're putting your, you're bearing your soul. And it's not like you're up there like with, you know, the Beatles with three other guys. It's you. <laughs> so you kind of live or live or die based on what you're doing. So it's a very personal experience, right? And then we, like, it, it comes back to the critic thing. When people criticize your solo album, they're, they're directly criticizing you. <laughs> it's, it's a different thing versus, versus a band, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's one thing I always am is I'm always incredibly honest and transparent, you know. So, you know, if I mess up, then I take responsibility that, you know, if you don't like my songs, then, you know, I, I completely accept that. That's my fault. Yeah. You know, or I take responsibility for that. Um, right. So yeah, I'm accountable. I'm always accountable for my actions. Yeah. And I actually, that that's part of the reason for me with my photography, how I got into photography. I was in Cirque, with Cirque in Tokyo and I wanted something that was just mine. 
that was not with the group, that was not with the show. And and, it, and I kind of live or die by my own, you know, skill or whatever, mm. which is kind of like your kind of same road. It's it's nice. I mean, it's a little scary and it's very personal. And people and it's people scary. Talk, it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and when people talk about your art, they're talking about your children. <laughs> I know, right? And it's yeah. funny because obviously with my new album, part of the, you know, the, the behind the scenes is sending it out for reviewers and, and, and all that kind of stuff, which is horrendous. Right, it's but it's part of, the, part of the process. You have to do it, right? It is part of the process. But I, but I realized something when I was going through this list of who I need to kind of send it to. Um, there were key people that I know at certain publications. And I genuinely was like, I want them to like it. Like not sure. because of yeah. getting a good review or any of that, because because they they know good music, you know, and they're supportive and they care. So for me, it was you know those reviews mean the world to me because I know they care, you know, and they know good music. So if they don't like it, fair enough. Then they're, they're not just being bitchy. It's like you know they know their stuff, <laughs> you know. Well, some yeah. some people, you know, it's like well, you know, they're they're just not going to like. It's not my you know my music is not their kind of. Music. They, they don't like anybody. So it's- <laughs> Yeah, and it's like it's like mm, I don't I just don't I don't see why we have to do that. I mean, obviously, right. you know, not everyone will like my music, of course. You know, everyone's human. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we all, all right. have our. It's, there's music I don't like, so you know, of course. But yeah, I don't like that bit. It's, it's yeah, it's funny too because for me, like when I when I listen to music, and I, I kind of always have been this way. I don't know why, but I kind of I focus. I try to find find the good stuff in there. Because I don't, yeah, I don't like everybody either, but there's usually a nugget. There's a little nuggets and spread throughout what they're doing that I go, oh, that's neat. Maybe that's a nice melody or whatever, even though I may not dig exactly what they're doing. And I'm like that with musicians. I, I can see a little kid playing and who's maybe not very experienced, but he'll do that one thing. I'm like, oh, that's neat. Where did he come up with that? You know, it's, I think if you approach life like that, if you look for the nuggets of gold and the, and the, and the, the thing that those little bits of pieces, um, it's, you have a better life. <laughs> <laughs> well, way, you do, you know. and, yeah, and Joe, and think about, and this is not just about music. This is you know, and this again, it's, it's about not life. really any. Yeah. Well, it is, isn't it? And this is not um, you know anything uh, against critics and such, but it does make me wonder. You know, if if you get if you have joy from actually tearing someone down publicly. Right. I'm I'm not sure what that says about you as a person. <laughs> Do you know what I right. mean? It's like it's one thing if if you're going to be polite and kind of what's not my kind of thing, but as you say, pulling out the good bits. And I've had it, you know, there's an album I I won't say who, but there is an album I reviewed that there were some bits in it that I wasn't feeling at all, at all. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to, I don't want to write a bad review. So I didn't mention those bits. But what I did do was talk about the bits that I did find that were good. You know, I could have taken that opportunity to go, well, this is awful. I don't like this. But why would I do that? You know, Mm. but some people do. And yeah, it worries me that some people in all different industries feel um, happy to go on social media or on a publication and bitch about things. It's like, what what do you actually get out of that other than your own satisfaction? Does that help the artist or the the, the play or whatever it is you're criticizing? Does that help that person? Does that actually help the wide, you know, the wider world? You know, them knowing that you think this right. is awful. You know, who yeah, does th- that actually serve? You know? Yeah, and I think too, I know you know this too, but I think some people like they they cast themselves in the role of the critic. You know, I know. Have, yeah, that, the mythical jazz critic. <laughs> that kind of I know. You know yeah, but it's the same in a few industries, isn't it? We have this in the theatre as well, that you kind of, you know, the opening night is crucial. Right. And, you know, a play or a, a musical can make or break if the critics don't like it on that opening night. Um, so, I, I, you know, there's a system there and I understand it, but I, I have to say it does worry me because, you know, say five people hate something, it doesn't mean it. it I was going to swear then, am I allowed to swear? Um, it, you know, if, Absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, if five people say this is shit, you know, that's just those five people's opinions. Exactly. You know, it yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it's shit. It's just shit to those people, you know. Right. And and I think I, I would just like the general public to be open to that mindset. It, yeah. It's not to ignore that opinion. It's like you might agree that it's shit. Absolutely. And that is valid. 
but it also you might also disagree and it's okay to disagree <laughs> you, know, and you know part part of because of the whole digital world the digital music outlets we're going to talk about how people can find your album in a minute um but um part of that whole digital outlet is it's not quite the financial commitment that it used to be where you bought somebody's album and, and like oh i spent that money and it's kind of sucky now they can people can sample stuff you know for better or worse they can go to outlets like spotify and these different things and kind of check people's stuff out without having a big financial commitment and and also too we've become a more of a singles driven world versus an album driven world so maybe they find three songs they really like from a certain album and there's other ones they don't really care for but that's okay right so that's really changed that whole universe i think yeah and that's i mean and, and spotify and the streaming services would be a, a whole other conversation yeah, if, we talk know, about yeah. revenue, if we talk about revenue but as right. you say what it what it has done is opened up the world and I know and in fact I had this at my gig last night sorry to bring it back to that but it was it was so wonderful because I had and I'm going to show my age here but I'm not going to tell you how old I am but I there was there was quite a few young people there seven okay (laughs) yes there were quite a few young people there and when I say young people let's say between the age of 18 and 25 um that is not the normal jazz audience we you know jazz generally is an older uh, audience but part of it evolving is that we need you know a younger audience you know and there's, there is yep. you know and so i always get excited when a, a younger audience uh, listen to my music but i had those a couple of people that came up to me in the interval and they said this is this is my first ever jazz gig and oh, I was yeah. like, really? Yeah. And they're like, I've never been to a jazz gig before. And I went, oh, I said, I'm kind of like, <laughs> I'm in the jazz box, but I'm kind of, you know, I'm not old school jazz. And they went, no, no, this is exactly how we hoped it would be. Ah, oh, neat. Yeah. They were like, yeah, no, I love this. We're going to come to more. Um, but I love that kind of, you know, whatever it was I did um, and however they were perceiving it to be, that was their first ever jazz gig. And now they want to see more. Um, you know, so I thought that was a wonderful thing. Um, and they heard about me through Spotify. They found my music on Spotify. I'm like, that looks cool and came to my gig. So they've been turned on to jazz because of Spotify. And that's, you know, it's actually funny about you're talking about them and their perception of, of your music. And that, that's something I would tell people. To, well, first of all, we want them to check out your album, not only a new one, but all of them. But that's something about your production style um, is that I always feel like when I listen to your records, like I'm in a small jazz club. The, the albums feel very intimate and that has a lot to do with how you guys produce that. Um, and I think it, that's one of the really neat things I like about your music. Thank you. I mean, I think the key thing for me, and I always say this when we're in the studio is that I want it to sound as, as live as it can be. So right. what I, what I, what I don't want is someone to listen to uh, one of my tracks online or, or on CD, however, and then come to one of my gigs and it'd be different. Right. Yeah, I wanted to feel the same. Uh, and I don't know where this comes from. I think maybe I and I remember many, many years ago, you know, loving artists and listening to their CDs or vinyl um, and then going to a gig and it being completely different. And I remember being disappointed. It's like, oh, no, that's, exactly. not, that's, not, yeah. that's not how I remember it. So for me, I try and keep the production side of it so it does sound as if we're in a gig. I mean, it's not live live. I, I do have some live tracks on there, but I like that feel of kind of, you know, it's as if you're there with us. Yeah, and you definitely accomplish that. That that's a, a big. T- and the other thing too is your albums are all very consistent. They all they all you know even though there's new songs and there's new feels and that that kind of thing. But there's a you have a definite style, not only as an artist but as a producer. Um, and that's hard to do. Like that, some people it takes them years to find that. But you found that sort of right out of the gate. Do so you think that had Thank a lot you. to do with, with that? Had a lot to do with your teaching and your just your experience before starting on your jazz career. or yeah, definitely. I mean, I think because I used to teach music technology. So many, many years ago, um, I was quite a techie, uh, if you know what I mean. Um, so the understanding of the behind the scenes things was key for me. So I think I had a bit of a grounding on that. But then I think I, you know, I stopped teaching technology. So I was a bit out of the loop uh, in some ways. Um, and then producing kind of brings it back together of kind of, oh, yeah, actually, hang on. <laughs> this is where it's coming from. But combining that with me as an artist, you know, so I will try and replicate things. So there's times when, you know, something's happening with, with the trumpet part and then I'll look at kind of the effect we might want to put it on or how much reverb mm. relevant to the musical element uh, as well as the kind of uh, the other bits of it so um yeah no thank you for saying that that's um I'm still very much growing as a producer though yeah very well I mean growing. and also um Gabby your guitar player right he kind of he, he, oh Jibby I'm sorry Jibby um <laughs> he actually uh, yeah and he actually I mean he's been very integral in that process too because he's sort of your engineer when you're recording he's my but... engineer yeah we, we record at his studio <laughs> 
right. uh, and then I mix at a different studio and then master at another studio. So, and again, that that's important that there's three different sets of ears on it because as much mm-hmm. as obviously I'm producing it, um, it's still my material. So finding that separation can be hard and I'm aware of that so for me that's why I split it into three processes so that there's three different sets of ears that have had different relationships with the music uh, and then yeah we, we have uh, in-depth conversations about um you know different things that because obviously ultimately it's my call but it's imperative that I have different people's ears on it yeah and that comes back to the thing about even though you're a solo artist there's definitely collaboration all the all the way through the process right Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I work with some incredible people. <laughs> so um, give us the name of the album one more time, please. Red Flags and High Heels. Okay, I know there's a story there, but we'll... <laughs> <laughs> there well, is. Well, actually, what, what, what is this? Well, actually, I should say, what is the story of the title? Well, uh, the, the brief overview is the, the red flags represents um, those alarm bells, those things that don't quite sit right, Mm-hmm. Um, and and maybe something comes along like mm, not sure about that, and sometimes you don't know what to do about it, but you know it's there. Or sometimes when you know it's there, but you carry on, and then afterwards you're like, I knew that was going to happen. Um, so, exactly. <laughs> but it's yeah, like, what well, if you knew? Yeah. Why did you? So, you know, th- those Funny. different things, but also bigger picture things. You know, when you think about, uh, you know, um, ignorance is something that you know been particularly key to me um, over the past couple of years with things like you know uh, the black lives uh, matter movement with racism right. you know kind of the, the, the emphasis on people's ignorance it's like well that's a massive red flag so you know the concept of red flags is is those type of things and then in comparison the high heels is the kind of it's not all gloomy <laughs> you know there's fun <laughs> yeah you know, there's fun out there but also you know i think high heels represent for some people it's like a sexy thing a playful thing but it also can represent strength and fierceness so yeah. I think the album overview is is a combination of those two things that ups yeah. and downs. Yeah, and maybe maybe um, empowerment for women in in, in life yeah. and in music and yeah, yeah. Um, very cool. Um, how can people find your album? What's what's the, the outlets that uh, I guess kind of everywhere, but. It is, yeah, it's everywhere. It came out yesterday. Um, so awesome. it's on all the streaming sites. It's on Amazon and iTunes and Apple. And if you want a physical CD, um, then you need to go onto Bandcamp or onto my website. Okay, great. And, and your website address is? fionaross.co.uk. Yeah, that's easy. And then we'll actually we'll put all the, all the links and information on the podcast uh, um, text. And so people can find it there as well. And I'll include it in the video so people can find you. And Thank uh, you. Yeah, and I very much look, at, look forward to hanging with you. It's been quite a while now and I was actually going to London like once or twice a year but now it's been a couple of years <laughs> I know I miss you but you know what? I'm impressed do you notice I wasn't waving my hands around quite so much oh well I do that now I do <laughs> I know but I've noticed and I was really deliberate this time because each time we've done one of these I'm like I wave my hands around like a crazy person because I do oh. do that anyway and I'm sitting here and I'm like I'm going to try and not look like a crazy person I'm oh, quite no, I think crazy. I did quite it's- well it's part, of your, it's part of your charm. Oh, well, you're very kind. <laughs> it's all good. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, everybody, I encourage you to find uh, Fiona Ross's new album. Um, also, as I as mentioned, to check out all the other albums because it's there's sort of a whole story that runs through that um, with you as an artist. And you have a very signature style, which I think people, it's very endearing. And it's very charming. So I think people should definitely check that out. Um, check out Women in Jazz Media. Um, Facebook page, which is very active and growing quickly. And uh, we, we will be doing some lives and some videos from the London Jazz Festival, um, which we're going to chat about too in a bit after we go off air um, and arranging some uh, interviews and uh, and do some, some fun things. I'd like to also give a shout out to the new website, Voyeur, which is going to be, it just launched yesterday. And that's a, our, a website for creators and a way for them to get funded which is something that we all need. <laughs> so, and also, right. And also to our um, podcast sponsor, Switcher Studio, who've been super supportive. So thank you so much, Fiona. I really, really appreciate you joining me. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Have a lovely evening in London. Thank you, you too. You can follow us on all major podcast outlets at Music Matters with Daryl Craig Harris. Thanks for joining us and catch you next time.